Hello, everyone, are listening to the That Planet Mask podcast. I'm Grayson Mask. I have with me Aaron Leapfarth of Liquid Lips Tastings. And really, I wanted to have this conversation um, just because I'm trying to have more conversations with people in the wine and spirits environment. And really, when I saw kind of a business that's built on providing tastings and marketing opportunities within um, grocery store and retail spaces, I thought that was a really cool concept and really just wanted to reach out just kind of on, you know, really with future goals and how it's been doing during the pandemic. So thank you again, Aaron, for jumping on this podcast with me and having this conversation. Well, Grayson, I'm pumped to be here. Thank you for asking me. Mm-hmm. I'm ready. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, really kind of the um, first thing I wanted to ask about was kind of when I was checking out your uh, original LinkedIn profile, I saw your background before the alcohol environment. I was seeing um, kind of earlier work in the Crohn's and Cloitus Foundation and the Boy Scouts of America in the Houston area. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of uh, was intrigued by kind of what you did at Crohn's and Cloitus Foundation because I'm a part of their young professional board in the uh, DFW area. Um, growing up, we were really into um, philanthropy, I guess. So my mom and I were in this group called National Charity League. Um, after college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I ended up um, working at... Uh, Children's Memorial Herman and uh, working on their life flight campaign and in their development department. So um, that kind of took me into development and nonprofit work. Uh, Mm. Crohn's and colitis was probably one of my most favorite jobs. Um, I was responsible for an event called the Winter Ball. It was, um, I mean, a huge successful gala that we put on every year. Um, And, you know, I think bringing attention to Crohn's and colitis is really important. And it's fun to have a really glamorous event around it because Crohn's and colitis is not is not glamorous. Um, So I think it was super successful for that reason. But um, that was my primary role. And surprisingly, it was year round. (laughs) Um, So that was my main main role there. And it was a lot of fun. We had a really small office. And I actually worked there during Hurricane Ike, um, and our office was closed for three weeks. I happened to live the closest to the office, so I would climb eight flights of stairs to check our mail every day. (laughs) (laughs) It was great. And did you, you, uh, I guess, enjoy um, more of that small office environment, or do you uh, prefer kind of a bigger team? You know, it was great when... Uh, the four of us were there, but, uh, if you were the only one in the office, it was fairly lonely. Um, luckily Mm -hmm. we were in a really busy building, which was nice and in a great location, but, um, but yeah, you could go to the office pretty much in, well, we went a couple days in workout shorts because you knew no one would be there. So I have to (laughs) say I snuck in a few casual days. Mm -hmm. No, I can imagine. (laughs) <laughs> with such a kind of a small team that um that you would definitely have to i guess that gives you opportunities that you had to take on a, a wide range of i guess responsibilities within your role um well i guess we pretty much 
helped everyone with their events. So we, we had a walk, we had educational events. Um, we did, uh, something called, uh, kind of like where you fundraise and run half marathons and all those things. So really we all kind of took a part in each other's events. Um, the winter ball itself had many events leading up to it and, um, a really interesting, secretive process on how we basically the the gala honored 10 10 women of distinction in the Houston area and there was a secretive process where people would vote on their uh, resumes and bios and kind of determine you know who who deserved to be a woman of distinction that year and that whole process started just after the winter ball so it was a year-round event and I had lots of help from my other teammates. Um, and of course, you know, we all helped with the educational events. We all got involved in the half marathon and all the events that we did, um, the active events, I guess. So it was, I mean, it was a lot of fun. You know, you kind of, in a small office, you all have to, you have to wear many hats and that's what we did. Mm-hmm. And I kind of saw, um, you know, really after Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, your Boy Scouts of America roles, uh, you went into kind of the oil and gas industry as a sales representative. So I kind of wanted to kind of ask on, I mean, was there any, uh, did you notice any immediate differences between being in the nonprofit world versus uh, going into the private sector? Oh, um besides the use of foul language (laughs) (laughs) not really um Mm -hmm. you know the whole uh, fundraising is definitely a sales role you know you have to talk Mm -hmm. to people about why they want to give why they want to be involved you know for a few for example i'm sure there's a reason that you are interested in the crohn's and colitis foundation um, so really talking to people and asking the right questions to get them to give you money is a lot like courting somebody. I think that moving into a sales role in oil and gas is very much the same. Um, in that instance, I happen to be the only person in Texas. So um, a couple of those companies were based in Louisiana. So my office was my home or my car. And that was a very lonely job, you know, if you were not out in the market working. Um, so when I was home doing reports and all of that stuff, there, there was nobody there with me, which is probably great because I got a lot done. But um, also you didn't have that team around you. So definitely different. Um, but as far as, you know, selling or fundraising it's very much the same and requires the same skills the same, you know asking people the right questions to get the right results so that's that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah that must have been uh, i guess a wild situation on being the only one in the entire team to be in texas so do you i guess um for you to be productive do you kind of prefer or need that um customer interaction or collaboration with a team? You know, I think, um, to some extent ever, you know, yes, I, I think working alone is awesome. I get a lot done. I'm really productive. 
but it's always nice to have feedback from other people on your team. How are they making their sales? How are they, um, you know, doing whatever they're doing? How did they land that, you know, customer? Those are, you know, it's great to find out what other people are doing so you can learn from them. Um, and in my case, I was always the, the new person to the team. So I had a lot to learn, um, especially when it came to oil and gas. It was just, it was a different beast, if you will. So um, it was interesting, definitely interesting. Mm-hmm. But um, working with a team, I think, is really important. But it was also nice to be able to go to my house and work quietly when I need to really get something done. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So I saw the um, really after kind of the, those opportunities um, where you're in kind of the oil and gas industry. Um, you know, I saw uh, really with your profile your move to the DFW area, and I was just kind of wondering. Um, you know, was that uh, for a job opportunity out here and um, you know, has there been any, uh, you know, noticeable differences between, you know, coming from Houston to being in kind of Dallas Fort Worth area? Definitely. Uh, well, so I moved to DFW, um, for my husband's job. We, uh, we were dating in Houston and ended up getting engaged while he was here in Dallas and I was in Houston. So, um, Mm -hmm. I made the move. And at the time, oil and gas, you know, oil and gas is actually very cyclical and, and it was kind of on a downturn at that point. So it made more sense, mm-hmm. obviously, for me to move to DFW for his position. Um, and then moving here, um, I would say, yeah, there's a really big difference between Houston and Dallas. Um, a lot of people, uh, you know, think of them as rivals. Um, I love both cities. Um, I've really enjoyed, um, getting to know Dallas. Um, but basically, you know, growing up in Houston, I know all of my shortcuts. I know, um, I have all these friends there because of high school and middle school, et cetera. Um, you know, so you grow up there and you, you know, so much about the city, you know, where your favorite pizza places, your favorite sushi places, you know, things like that. You moved to Dallas when I moved to Dallas. Um, you know, I didn't know I used ways to get everywhere all the time. I didn't know how to get to Target. I didn't know how to get anywhere. <laughs> um, and I also, you know, figuring out what's your favorite pizza place here? What's your favorite sushi place here? You know, just the basics. It's, you know, learning a whole new city, meeting new friends. Um, you know, just, it's just different. Um, but really love Dallas. Um, you know, I'll always be an Astros fan, a Rockets fan. Um, so I haven't adopted the Dallas teams yet, but, um, (laughs) but definitely love Dallas. Mm -hmm. I guess, uh, you're kind of talking about, um, just how long it takes to kind of find, um, you know, your favorite spots within kind of, a in a new landscape. Have you, um, is there any, uh, parts of Dallas or the Dallas Fort Worth area that, you know, you might be going out to on a weekend, uh, whether it's kind of like Bishop Arts or Victory Park or something like that? Um, well, it's been fun exploring DFW and certainly, um, you know, we've driven out to Fort Worth and enjoyed weekends there. 
Um, and certainly, you know, Bishop Arts is super fun. Um, I mean, trying to think, you know, just exploring Dallas was great. Um, we had a, a baby in August, so I have a seven month old. So weekends are pretty much at home. <laughs> Um, getting out and exploring with a seven month old is, uh, um, trying, uh, uh, yeah. So, so still working on that, but hopefully eventually we'll get out to Clyde Warren and he can run around. We can get out to, um, you know, the Fort Worth zoo I've heard is awesome. I haven't been yet. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of places we still need to explore and probably some that'll be new to us with a kid, which will be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think with, uh, with COVID, I think everyone's just in the same boat as well, uh, as far as exploring. (laughs) Right. Right. Funny enough, I've kind of forgotten about COVID. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess that's not funny, but, um, you know, we've, we've been vaccinated, thankfully. Um, and I guess, you know, in Dallas, you, you see people wearing masks everywhere and you kind of, you've just, you know, I think we have, and a lot of people have adjusted to this new normal with the mask. And, um, and I think people are starting to feel more comfortable getting out in public also because of the vaccine and just, you know, after a while you kind of acclimated, I guess. So, mm-hmm. but you're right. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, forget about it yeah did you see the uh i guess the news today on everyone's going to be i think Mm -hmm. eligible by next week oh no i didn't Mm -hmm. no i mean i think it's yeah i mean when i saw that news i'm like that i'm hoping that's a good sign or that means that we have a you know vaccine supply or that they're confident in the amount of vaccines we're getting Mm -hmm. i think that's interesting Um, you know, my, here in Dallas, I have a cousin that he wasn't able to get on any of the lists to, to get a vaccine. He he really had a hard time finding one, sorry, excuse me. And he ended up going to CVS, you know, far away from him to get it, which is great. He got his first shot. But then I think about my mom is in a, works in a hospital in Oklahoma and she got vaccinated, but there are quite a few people that just do not want to be vaccinated and they've had extra supply because of that. Um, mm-hmm. So people in her, uh, the group that she manages, they've all been asked if they have family or friends that want the vaccine because they have so many extra that they're able to give out. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Just interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's... Like, it, I- yeah, I mean, with the the supply, yeah, that that news on when I see the shocking amount, like percentage of Americans that, yeah, are not confident either they're hesitant or just not straight up not wanting to take a vaccine. It definitely it, it makes me a little nervous as far as kind of moving forward on you know what's going to happen if uh you know it stagnates or you know we get to the point where everyone that wanted a vaccine already has had it and no one else after that doesn't want to get it so i don't know it's uh i'm hopefully you know i'm hoping as more people get it you know people become confident in the vaccine and um you know urge their friends and families uh to do the same thing absolutely but uh yeah definitely well um i'm sorry oh no i was just going to uh kind of ask on really with the 
uh, wanted to get into your business on, uh, I believe you, uh, you filed your LLC at around 2018. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wanted to ask on, you know, was that, uh, I know you came from, you know, a lot of sales background, but uh, did you have kind of that um, entrepreneur mindset uh, g- coming into this or was it, I guess, a, a large transition or a, a huge leap for yourself? It, it was a huge leap. I've I've never seen myself as an entrepreneur, um, which, I mean, starting a company was just never in my plan. I, you know, I don't know if I knew what my plan was. Um, but <laughs> basically, I was in commercial real estate when we moved to Dallas. And I was uh, with my company for just over three years. And uh, I loved it, but you don't close transactions every day. So I started doing demos myself um, on the weekend. I love wine. I'm pretty knowledgeable about wine. Um, so I started signing up. I worked with several different demo companies, and I loved it. I I love strangers. I think they're interesting. <laughs> I think people are interesting. <laughs> I think um, you meet a lot of you know, you meet, you meet every, all types, all types of types when you're uh, in the market and uh, you get to talk about wine and you really get a lot of feedback on what people enjoy and what they don't enjoy. And, you know, sometimes people just want to tell you their story and that's great. Mm. Um, but you, it's just a fun experience. So I enjoyed being social, um, and talking Mm. about wine and it just, it just clicked for me. I realized that I probably knew more about wine than a lot of people that were doing what I was doing. Um, and I'm a, I consider myself a hard worker. So I was always on time, just always prepared. And I think the first time I ever did a demo or a tasting, I shadowed somebody and Mm -hmm. the woman left me at the table to go grocery shop. And I was there by myself <laughs> trying to sell wine. And I thought, all right, well, I can do this. Um, and and that's when I realized, I think that I, you know, after several months of doing it, I think I could do this. I can, and I think I can do it better. Um, so that's kind of how it happened very slowly. And, and like you said, I, you know, in 2018, I filed for the LLC. I was still working. Uh, for the commercial real estate company, still doing my day job and working deals and in the background, trying to put together presentations and meet with people and talk to them about my company and my idea, um, which, you know, my, my idea was wine knowledgeable people. So people with certifications or people that are professional, not just, not just anyone, I will, you know, really passionate people is what I was looking for. So interviewing everyone, trying to get set up, trying to figure out where we were going to start and what we were going to do. Anyway, it took, it took quite a while, but I ended up working all of my own demos at the end of 2018 um, just to make enough money to start the company so I could pay people in January when we, when I had a team out, out Mm -hmm. working um, and I'm glad I did that. Uh, I feel I feel like it was really hard working two jobs, but it was mm-hmm. the right way for me to do it. Um, I know a lot of people. I think you've we've talked about this previously, or I saw it 
in a question previously, um, that some people like to dedicate 100% their whole self to their project. And I think that's great Mm -hmm. if you can do it. But for me, being fiscally responsible was one of my top priorities, if not my top priority. And starting a company without a loan or debt or any of those things was really important to me. And so I'm really glad that I continued to work for my other company, do my own demos and, you know, make money and build the company slowly. I think it made us more successful in the long run. No, I like how you kind of mentioned that from your own background, because I know, um, uh, yeah, that was kind of one of my questions. And really, it was kind of in past conversations I've had with people on the blog as well as the podcast. That's always been kind of, I think, a large debate amongst uh, entrepreneurs and creatives, um, Mm -hmm. because I've heard from one person, you know, kind of saying, um, you know, I took out a loan because I wanted that, I think that financial incentive or that kind of, mm. um, that kind of background on that there is no plan B or there is no exit strategy made me like 100% committed. But then I heard from kind of someone else saying that, you know, um, no, it was kind of like I started my business on the side and it was kind of a slow transition because if I would have immersed myself 100% um, from the get-go, I probably, even though I was very dedicated and had the passion, mm-hmm. I might not have um, really succeeded uh, because early on I didn't have the education, the connections, uh, the finances, um, a lot of these other things. Um, but that that's, uh, I guess, would you say you your kind of background falls kind of on the I guess on the kind of the latter experience. Mm-hmm, definitely. I think, uh, you know, it, everyone has to decide what's best for them. Um, for me, I'm, I'm with the second person you mentioned when I stayed with my commercial real estate company, we ended up during that period of time that I worked both jobs. We, we closed, um, some, a large multifamily portfolio And I was able to save money, pay off my car, and get in a better personal financial situation too, so that when I did leave the company, I was able to really take off and put myself into liquid to lips. Um, And I I think it's really important as an entrepreneur to be financially responsible and stable. You know, you're responsible for these people you're paying. You have an obligation. And mm-hmm. one of the scariest things to me would be not being able to pay my bills or pay, pay their you know, salaries or, you know, et cetera. I think, um, you know, during one of, during COVID, I was able to pay myself the entire time because of that strategy. So I think, um, you know, while we weren't doing demos, we, we did not have a single demo from March 9th. I guess, 2020 to uh, August 15th, 2020. Um, so it, because of that strategy, you know, I was able to survive and I was pregnant. So I certainly wasn't going out to find a job at that point either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it worked out really well for me. 
And, um, you know, it also, I could, I guess I see the motivation. If you have a loan, there's certainly some motivation there. Um, but I don't, I was already motivated. <laughs> I already knew mm-hmm. that I was going to make it successful. I just needed to be patient. So. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, um, yeah, really kind of from what you said, I can see that it, it definitely will vary from experience to v- experience and just kind of based on the passion, the knowledge and the experience that you possibly already have and just kind of whatever your business idea is kind of depends on will kind of factor into, you know, if you are patient and transition slowly or if you need to kind of just dive in um, mm-hmm. uh, just in one go. Um, but really kind of with uh, liquid ellipse tastings, I kind of wanted to uh, really um, when I saw the business, I, I wanted to ask on kind of what the setup was like. Uh, so do you, I guess, approach certain wine brands and tell them, um, you know, I do these tastings at certain retail spaces and, you know, it'd be great marketing for your brand or great way to make sales? Sure. So business comes to us all kinds of ways, or we, we go out and find business all kinds of ways, but, um, pretty much Mm -hmm. how it started was through a connection, um, a, a, a distributor, a salesperson that worked um, calling on a grocery store chain. And they basically said, oh, we need we need an educated team in this store. And I said, great, that's my plan. So we kind of started together and I we started in Central Market. That's, you know, they were the first ones to kind of book us. And um, that person that called on the chain for that distributor, um, Mm -hmm. had a relationship and they had a new supplier that had just joined and they had really cool, unique wines that needed some, a team that was educated. So they recommended they use us and that's kind of how that first, first started. Um, then we gradually developed relationships with the suppliers. So those wine companies, we also developed more relationships with other um, chain account managers. So they call them CAMs. So those people, and those are the people that call on, you know, Central Market, Whole Foods, um, Market Street, HEB, Tom Thumb, Albertsons, Randall's Tom Thumb, et cetera, et cetera. So there, there's a person assigned. You're in the wine industry, so you probably already know this, but for anyone listening that doesn't. Um, mm-hmm. you know, those distributors have people that call on those chains and that's how product eventually gets to the store. I mean, there are many other moving parts, but those are key people to know. So when the wine companies book demos or book tastings, um, they'll say, Hey, we want to use liquid to lips either because they know us or they'll say, Hey, you know, we don't have a tasting company. Do you have one you'd recommend? And that's where having that relationship is, you know, so great for us. Um, even today, you know, I've been, I've been talking, you know, trying, trying to keep up relationships and talk to these cams and, you know, I, you know, I actually consider many of them good friends and, um, really just, I heard from one today and he said they weren't happy with their current demo company 
And so they recommended mm. liquid to lips. And that's part of how we get our business. And the other part, you know, in Central Market, we we had a great reputation. Um, our team was mostly WSET that worked in there, which is um, a wine certification for those that don't know what WSET is. Um, so a lot of our team is knowledgeable. They have certifications. And Central Market loves that. Um, so they actually ask, they ask a lot of their suppliers and they ask their distributors to use us, you know, they don't always, and that's fine. You know, we're not necessarily for everybody, but, um, but that's been really helpful too, to have that relationship with them. Mm -hmm. Right. So the business um, comes from all kinds of places. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, you talked about, um, the importance of the WSAT um, really amongst your brand ambassadors. And I saw um, on the website that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, um, that you kind of manage over a team of over 100 brand ambassadors. Um, so really, I was just kind of wondering on um, really when you're hiring for a brand ambassador, is there um, specific qualities you're looking for? And you know, what makes a great ambassador uh, for these wine tastings? Definitely. You know, I think, um, of course, I'm always looking for specific qualities in a brand ambassador. Um, you know, a lot, can they be on time? Can they do, can they ask someone to buy a bottle? You can't, can't sell a bottle of wine if you don't ask for the sale. So, you, you know, just someone that's not shy, someone that, um, you know, can be engaging. Most importantly, someone that has a passion for wine. I think that makes it so much easier to sell the wine if you yourself mm-hmm. are interested. You know, even if I don't love a particular type of wine, I think wine is so interesting. You know, the region, the the wine itself, maybe sometimes just the label for customers, but it gives you something to be enthusiastic about and customers see that. They they want what you've got, so they want to buy a bottle. Oh, this is great, and they see your enthusiasm for it. Um, so, I mean, of course, there are a lot of things about ambassadors that we look for, and it's, of course, a combination of things. Um, part of my interview process, I ask them to call me for the interview. Well, if they can't call me for the interview, are they going to show up to a demo on time? I don't know. Uh, you know, so there's a process there. And then I like to talk to people for a little bit and get to know them. Um, a lot of people, you know, if, if they answer me with yes, no, no, you know, I, uh, one word answers, then Mm -hmm. I don't feel like they will engage with the public that well. Um, you know, a lot of people, when you go into a grocery store, especially now, but even pre COVID, would, you know, they ignore you. They, they're they afraid to talk to the demo person or the tasting person. So you really have <laughs> to light up and be engaging and, and also be able to not take anything personally. Some people just really don't want to engage with strangers. And, you know, I understand that. Um, and, and that's okay. But it's just, uh, you know, everyone needs to, I don't even know where I was going with that. I just started thinking about my demos that I did this weekend and so many people were wearing headphones or ear, you know, ear pods. So they just obviously they come in and they don't even want to 
don't want to interact and that's okay. And and now because of COVID, people don't want to interact because they either don't want to take their mask off or they, you know, they maybe they don't feel comfortable talking to strangers and that's okay too. Mm-hmm. And I don't even no, remember the question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you uh, really, I kind of liked your input on the um, changes that possibly are happening of customers going into these retail spaces because, you know, I would have assumed that, I mean, the main changes were to any alcohol related businesses dealing with on-premise, but I can understand um, from even from off-premise on the retail side, Mm -hmm. uh, if customers are just simply just, they have their headphones in, they're just kind of walking in and they, I guess just that fatigue of COVID-19 kind of has hit everyone. Right. Um, it's definitely different and it's very interesting. Of course, you know, um, COVID initially impacted my industry, our industry, um, when, when we didn't have any demos, you know, was it safe to take a sample from a brand ambassador? Is it, you know, okay to be that close to someone else? Well, no. So initially we didn't even have demos because people were so afraid and cautious, which is understandable and great. Um, and now that we are doing demos again, we see it all. Um, you see a lot of, um, companies that shop for you in the store and they obviously don't take samples. So you see a lot of the people from, um, let's see, I'm trying to think shipped, I think is one of the companies or favor, favor, you know, places where they uh, collect your groceries for you, or even in the store, they get your groceries. So you don't see as many customers necessarily in the store. Um, you also, you know, people again, don't necessarily want to engage. So that's different. And on the other hand, you see the people that are so grateful to see a demo in the store and they're excited (laughs) and they want to talk to you. And this last uh, weekend I worked four demos. I did, you know, I was a crazy person and I had a lady that just started talking to me about her, her experience in the last several months. And she said that I was the first person she had talked to in nearly four months. And I thought, Oh my goodness, I can't even imagine. And, and she literally stood there and talked to me for about 15 minutes, um, just about what she had going on in her life. And I thought, wow, you know, some people, really just need someone to talk to. And unfortunately she didn't drink wine. So we, you know, we didn't even do a sample. <laughs> just She just needed someone to talk to. Um, so you see that too, which I think is interesting. Um, and now that Texas specifically has lifted the ban on masks, um, you see people with masks, you see people without, um, which is also interesting. And of course on our side of the table, we are required to wear masks. We wear gloves. We keep hand sanitizer on our tables at all times. Um, We no longer use tablecloths on the tables. Uh, We wipe off our tables with, you know, a wet wipe or something of that nature um, once an hour. Um, We're supposed to keep six feet from the customer, though sometimes that can be challenging um, depending on the location, but um, that can be challenging. And some retail chains have now required um, a plexiglass or partition between you and the customer. 
So, you know, every store is so different. Every chain is so different. Um, and some chains still aren't allowing demos. So it's been really interesting just seeing the general public and what they're doing and then also on our side and what we're doing. Um, and also earlier we were talking about how some people plan to get the vaccine and others don't feel confident in it. And I've found, I don't generally tell customers one way or another if I've been vaccinated or not, because it's no one's business really, except everyone listening to this podcast. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, as far as customers go, most of the customers I've talked to have said what you said, um, that they are not confident or comfortable getting the vaccine yet. And to me, I, I, I think it's interesting just gauging gauging the public and seeing where they stand on it. So um, that's been something that's been kind of fun to learn as I've been doing demos recently. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, that's definitely, um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, yeah, it's definitely wild on the controversy of um, on people who are pro-mask and anti-mask coming into uh, really the retail space as well as um, kind of that story you're talking about on someone that didn't see anyone else for four months. Uh, I can imagine. I mean, that's, yeah, that definitely has traumatic implications to, I mean, this entire pandemic has kind of had negative implications and I think just social and psychological for everyone, no matter what position you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, really, I kind of wanted to ask on, uh, really to wrap this episode up, sure. I just wanted to ask on any really future goals that you wanted to possibly talk about with your business or any future projects, whether it's, um, possibly, you know, the idea of going into on-premise spaces or coming up with a private label wine or, um, dealing mm-hmm. with new customer demographics, anything like that. So I think, you know, first and foremost, our our goal is to hopefully have normal demos again, our normal schedule again. Um, mm-hmm. You know, before this kind of happened, we would have probably 200 or more demos a month. And I think this month we'll have 90. So just to normalize that would be great. Um, and then after that, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned on-premise. I did have a supplier, um, a wine company, ask me, what would you think about going in, you know, training a wait staff and, and then having one person offer, hey, you guys, you know, y'all just came in for dinner. We're offering a free um, small sample of, you know, such and such wine. Let me tell you about it. If you'd like to purchase a bottle or a glass, it's this and this price, which generally would be up to the wait staff. Um, but it could be really cool to do that in a restaurant setting where it's not the wait staff's responsibility. Of course, they would get, you know, extra income and a larger tip potentially from the sale of that wine, which would be great. So it'd benefit a lot of people. Um, now, as far as being on premise in a bar or something along those lines, that's probably not what my staff would do. Um, they're just super wine focused. Um, we do spirits, but primarily wine and wine just isn't, um, I don't know, actually, you know what? I, it's been a long time since I've been in a bar, 
but I'm not sure how many people drink wine in bars. <laughs> You're younger than me, so you might know. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't see uh, people at EDM events chugging wine. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. There you go. So I'm not entirely sure about that space, but I do think it's a kind of cool, interesting concept for a restaurant. Um, you know, that that could be next, although certainly once COVID is potentially a thing of the past or under control, something along those lines. I don't know if it'll ever be a thing of the past, but um, but when it's acceptable for more people to be in a restaurant and in that capacity that could be cool i think definitely i think especially uh i mean with the vaccine but i think especially with um more spring weather now uh i think the opportunities for um socially uh really socially distancing and being able mm-hmm. to go to an outdoor restaurant or some type of patio experience because mm-hmm. i thought it was just the worst and October, November, to December, when it's kind of like it's not just is it is it a pandemic, but also it's cold. So it's kind of just so indoor and outdoor are impossible. So, yes. Yeah, I'm sure more restaurants invested in uh, heating lamps and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. I wanted. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, um, yeah, definitely. I wanted to really thank you again uh for coming on this podcast episode with me um i thought it was a very interesting conversation on your business and how it's adapted to this pandemic kind of things you've noticed amongst customers as well as kind of the future goals that you have in mind um really with your wine tastings thank you well we appreciate the opportunity to be here and i hope that your listeners found it somewhat interesting um, and if anyone is looking for a tasting job and loves wine and can sell wine, they should call me. <laughs> uh, definitely. We'll make sure to have that, uh, the link in the uh, Spotify description and everything. And, cool. you know, make sure everyone knows how to kind of reach out and, you know, possibly get into uh, one of these wine ambassadors. Yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs>